This is a Federal News Network podcast. The pandemic and resulting strain on the federal information technology infrastructure has brightened the spotlight on the need for IT modernization. What form that should take and how to pay for it, well, that's all under debate at the moment. My next guest has a good grounding in both government and industry views. Gordon Bitko is Senior Vice President of Policy for the Public Sector at the Information Technology Industry Council. He's also the former Chief Information Officer at the FBI, and he joins me now. Mr. Bitko, good to have you on. Tom, thanks very much for having me on today, and let me start first by expressing the hope that you and everybody else down there at the station are handling the current situation okay and that everybody's healthy and well. Thank you very much. So far, we haven't missed a beat. We have a lot of good support. Things are working pretty well. And of course, the government now, I don't know what is putting the bigger strain on the infrastructure for all of the teleworkers. And then we've seen the strain on delivering services, such as getting the checks out through the Treasury and IRS and administering all those loans through SBA. Everywhere you look, things are kind of under strain. Yeah, I think that's right, Tom. It's, it's just an unprecedented event, obviously, and something that although the government thinks about and exercises and practices for continuity of operations, I don't know that the effort and the thought ever really went into it in, in terms of it being a pandemic like this and, and expecting large percentages of the federal workforce and state and local government workforces as well to have to have to work remotely and to deliver services remotely. That's not really something that was at the forefront of everybody's mind in terms of planning for all this. So it absolutely has put strain, and, and that touches across a whole spectrum of things. You've seen stories, I'm sure we all have, about old legacy systems that need to be updated because they just can't handle the workload. The unemployment insurance systems in various states is a really good example of that. My former home state, New Jersey, Governor Murphy was on the air asking for COBOL programmers, right, to help them fix that system um, or to modernize that system and to expand its capacity. So that's a really good example. But at the same time, lots of federal agencies are just used to working in close proximity and figuring out how to telework uh, is something that they're having to think through and rethink business processes and, and the traditional ways of doing work. In way, and, and, and I think, you know, by and large, they're doing a good job, but it's certainly highlighted a lot of stress on the system. The ITI has joined uh, several other industry associations and trade groups in calling for, tell us exactly what it is you would like to see. Yeah, thanks, Tom. I, uh, there, there's a range of things that we'd like to see, but it starts at there's just underlying infrastructure investments that need to happen at all levels of government to enable telework at this scale and to enable services to be provided that are sort of the basic things people expect out of government, like health care, so telemedicine is a good example of that. Remote education services are another really good example for that. Lots of local school districts are really having to figure out how to, how to make all that happen and, and work for themselves. And that's the sort of thing that what we're saying is, unfortunately, we need to plan for things like this in the future and have the infrastructure to enable that type of capacity for government and citizens at, at, at all levels of service. So I think that that means a, a number of things, Tom. It means investments in the infrastructure. It means rethinking a lot of these processes. I think another really important piece of it, though, that we can't lose sight of is, is investing in cybersecurity in a very different world where instead of all the federal or state employees coming from trusted systems sitting in controlled government space, now you're doing it from home. And what does that cybersecurity model look like? And how do we, how do we enable all those employees to work, but to do it in a way that's secure. Unfortunately, the cyber adversaries see this as an opportunity, and they've 
made great efforts already to try to take advantage of it. So, so, so we are also calling for more investments in cybersecurity and this remote working model. And from your standpoint, and you have looked at this, you've been in industry, you've also been at the RAND Corporation, so you really have a foresighted view of this whole thing. It seems like there should be some investments in infrastructure capacity, such as like SBA trying to administer these programs quickly or the education department. But on the other hand, it's not ever wise in the investment standpoint to spend what you need for the biggest imaginable peak. And that's why we have Elastic Clouds, for example. That's the whole point of having those those types of services available. So it seems like there needs to be a thinking about, one, the processes themselves need to be modernized, and then how much capacity does the government itself actually need as long as it has a way of ramping up if it has to. And I'm not sure I'm hearing all that much distinction going on on that front. That's a really good point, Tom. One of the core principles of uh, what we're asking for in the modernization investment here is to leverage commercial best practices where we can. And that really does mean then being able to take advantage of the inherent elasticity, like you said, of of cloud solutions, of software-defined solutions in ways that traditional legacy infrastructure really struggles to do, right? One of the reasons why some of these old legacy unemployment insurance systems and other uh, similar systems, SBA is a good example as well, are, are, are struggling is, is because their legacy architecture and legacy designs, and they're just, they're not designed for that sort of elasticity, exactly like you said. We're speaking with Gordon Bitko. He's Senior Vice President of Policy for the Public Sector at the Information Technology Industry Council. And in this letter from the associations, there's, of course, the talk of money. And administrations and congresses have been arguing for a couple of decades over how much should be the right amount in a given year for modernization. Does anybody really know? And what does the ITI see as what might be, in terms of you know, orders of magnitude, what kind of investment the government needs now? Orders of magnitude, is, is, you know, not to pull punches, we're certainly talking billions of dollars here to do this at a, at a national scale across federal, state, and local. One of the things that we're really asking for is for OMB and the agencies and Congress to step back for a minute and to say, what do we actually need to do these things that are necessary for services in order to be delivered successfully in an environment like this? I don't know that anybody could put a specific dollar on it today, Tom, because I don't think agencies have really thought through the idea that, hey, all of our employees are not going to be coming physically into the office anymore. They're going to be scattered around all of these locations for months at a time. And what is it going to take in order for that to be successful from a process standpoint, from a technology standpoint? It's very different than the, than the traditional investment models that the government IT investment organizations have looked at. And so we're, I think it's worth taking a little bit of time to step back. But at the same time, we really can't wait. We really do need to start making these investments and know that we're going to need to continue to do them. It seems like every agency then should make almost a risk management assessment and say, what are the essential services that I deliver as an agency? What are the systems that I have to do that service now? What should it look like? And if I had to get all of that logic and all of that process re-rendered in a software-defined module that I could run on my own little server if I need to or go to this, that, or the other cloud if I have to, that seems like the kind of costing they should all be doing right now, correct? They should be, or they should at least be looking to how to do that. I think for some of these agencies, you know, they're so large, they should have gone through the normal continuity of operations planning and said, what are their mission essential functions? And how do those translate into which people need to be involved? They do have that to start from, but then the planning at the level you talk from, how do I virtualize this? How do I deliver it through these alternative models? 
that's something that I, I think will be new for a lot of agencies, and it's going to take some time and, and effort. I will say, though, you know, that you hear some really good success stories of localities even. The city or county of Los Angeles, from what I understand, did a really good job of, of doing exactly what you said, of creating a virtualized platform and enabling their employees to access it remotely into a virtual desktop and, and perform their mission essential functions. And they were able to do it relatively quickly, which speaks to the power of the technology. It's one thing for as big as, as the city of Los Angeles is, you know, the, the Department of Defense is orders of magnitude larger, and for them to think through all of that, or the Department of Homeland Security, it's a much bigger challenge. And there's one other angle here that you alluded to, and that is that some people may never, some percentage of the workforce may never return to being in the office again, because some of them will say, hey, this is great, you know, why should I go back to that place and put up with all the traffic? But then you also have the contractor workforce, which may or may not return or won't return in the same way. So it seems like there's almost a new model agencies have to understand and vendors have to understand of where people are, because that I don't think we're going to go back to the way it was 100% in one location anymore. I, I hesitate to call it a bright spot out of this whole thing, because right now it's hard to really see brightness. But, but a, a ultimately, long-term, I think, positive outcome will be the realization that governments can and should function in this more distributed model. It actually lets people when you do it correctly, be as effective or more effective, and to have a better balance of all the things that they need to accomplish in their lives. Government employees who are under a lot of stress right now are, they have families, they have parents, they have children, and you have to take care of them in normal circumstances too. This is really highlighting the importance of, of the need to find ways to, to do that. I will add, Tom, there's one other category of, of workers that has to be accounted for, which is, I, I mentioned DOD, the intelligence community as well, and all of the classified workers. And I think that there's going to be some need to rethink how much of that work has to be done at a, at a classified level and in a physical skiff, which requires people to, to co-locate, and are there going to be alternative ways to do some of that work as well? And I don't know the answer to that, but I'm sure the intelligence community and the Department of Defense are, are spending a lot of time thinking about it. And what do you hear from your old colleagues at the FBI? Because great many of the agents are mostly in the field anyway for a good part of their working days and weeks. But then you've got the labs and the analysts and the intelligence people that might be working at a screen or a laboratory or a Petri dish. That's right. And so for some of them, they physically need to be in the office with particular specialized equipment. And that could be an agent or an analyst out in the field as well who requires access into that field office's specialized tools for collecting evidence or doing certain types of analysis, just like you said. Uh, from what I hear, from what I understand, they're adjusting about as well as could be expected, which means they're figuring out ways to get the job done. But there are certainly the sort of challenges that we just talked about, where in the end it's requiring people to come into the office and, and to take pretty significant personal risk in in the way that they go about doing their jobs. It's not just the FBI. You know, that's true of lots of government employees who are, who are still coming into work. And, and I certainly am very thankful for that. And, and hopefully everybody realizes the level of, of effort and commitment that they're making right now to try to keep things going. Gordon Bitko is Senior Vice President of Policy for the Public Sector at the Information Technology Industry Council. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Stay up to date on your agency's latest responses to coronavirus. Visit our special resource page at federalnewsnetwork.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, 
it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.